What's your worst ever email faux pas? I don't have one. You don't? I don't think so. No. I don't either. I'm pretty careful about it. My main email problem is people writing Dear Miss Donovan to me <laughs> and thinking so that my name's funny. Emily Donovan yeah, and then funny. I ring them up and they're like, hmm, but we are going to be talking about this later on the show, aren't we? Oh, when you, you know who has some – I don't know if Producer Jono has got his own email faux pas, but Producer Jono has got some amazing stories. It's one of his favourite topics of conversation. About email faux pas. So yeah. we're going to have him on a little bit later to chat and I can't wait. With that in mind, should we get to the show? Shall we? Kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen. And this is what's worth talking about. The curious case of Benjamin Bell. The backstory to why Gore's 24-year-old mayor is facing a vote of no confidence later today. Also, the jobs that didn't exist 10 years ago and what this can tell us about the future of work. Plus, BNZ's Mike Jones is here to chat about the budget later this week and how it might address that soaring cost of living we all know far too well. All that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. Okay, we need to talk about gore. Mm-hmm. Wild stuff. Stone cold, small town, local government classy. Yeah, this is an all time of this one. So um, to get you up to speed, later today councillors will vote on a motion of no confidence in the mayor of Gore, who is a 24-year-old Ben Bell. It's the latest twist in a pretty serpentine story, so here to explain how it's all got to this point is Shay Baker, the editor of the Southland Times. Kia ora, Shay. Hi, how's it going? Good, thank you. How are you? Very good. Crazy times down south, but let's go back to the beginning. October, November last year, local government elections, the then 23-year-old Ben Bell ousts the incumbent, Tracy Hicks, who's been mayor for six terms. Was that a surprise? It was a surprise because it was so close. So it was about eight or nine votes in it. Tracy Hicks, he actually went for a recount afterwards, which was declined. So it was close, especially, you know, we had a young 23-year-old It showed that Gore really, really wanted some change. Yeah, just six months on, you know, we've talked about this motion of no confidence. Things have clearly gone south, as it were. Uh So when do the problems between Ben Bell and the rest of the council kind of start and what was the broad nature of them, would you say? Well, there's been a lot going on and it is hugely complex. Um, So what we sort of know, there may have been sort of a little bit of issues in the first week. But you have to look back to the history. So Ben Bell's mother, Rebecca Taylor, she used to work at the council and there's been hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, paid out in this situation. So I feel as if Ben and Steve Perry may have had a little bit more history than a lot of people actually realise. So that's hundreds of thousands paid out to his mother in an employment dispute. And Steve Perry is the chief exec of the council, is that right? Steve Perry being the chief executive, yes. So in light of the no confidence vote that the councillors are going to take today, there's also a petition that has been signed by almost over 3,000 people for Steve Perry to step down from his job. What do we know about that vote of no confidence? 
later today. The councillors can put forward a vote of no confidence, but ultimately it is up to Ben Bell to stand down. As an elected official, he is the only person that can decide. So it actually means not a lot. You know, it's just on the record how the councillors feel about the position at the moment. But what we do know is that they've released a statement saying they'd asked Ben to resign last week and he declined. They've said, you know, his behaviour in the last two weeks is why they had sort of got to this position. However, they are not telling us what that behaviour is and that they would say more about it today. Shay, you know, I've seen this sort of characterised as like either um, young upstart mayor is getting bullied by old fogey council. Um, Some people... Um, characterise it as, you know, young guy, way over his head, doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, like, what are the dueling narratives here from from your point of view? Well, from our point of view, it it is very hard to tell. You know, we are not in there having these meetings and, you know, with the council. Yes, Ben is young. There is a lot of support there for Ben. And yes, Perry, you know, um, they've been there for a long time. But in any situations, personal conflicts are a part of life and people have to move on and get on with the job. Uh, Shay Baker, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. No problems. Imogen Wells, what did you want to be when you grew up? A movie star. Really? Yep. Okay. What about you? A stonemason. Cool. Wasn't esports game coach or driverless car engineer, telemedicine doctor, not those? online community no. manager, chief listening officer, or podcast producer. No, no, it wasn't any of those things. <laughs> Do I don't think they existed. Well, here to tell us a bit more about these new jobs that have emerged over the past decade or so and perhaps some new ones on the horizon. We're joined now by Graham Muller, CEO of NZ Tech. Kia ora, Graham. Good morning. Nice to see you. You know, this theme of some of the jobs that Emma just listed off is that many of them are sort of tech-based or tech-enabled. Is that sort of the new frontier that we're in at the moment, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just see how much, like over this COVID period, right, how much we had to throw ourselves into the computer world and do these sorts of things and communicate in different ways. And it's it's changing really fast. And I think that, um, yeah, it's creating a lot of new jobs as it happens. What's the most curious or strange new job you've come across or spotted on the market? Uh, robotic surgeon operator. A family friend of mine recently had robotic surgery. Yeah, it's crazy, eh? Can you talk me through what that is, please? Because um, robotic surgeon operator, three words that I know are words but never realised went together. Yeah, so uh, there's technology out there now that allows uh, surgeons to operate on people when they're not actually in the same room as them. So you can get a world-class surgeon to use a robotic extension and do the operation. In fact, there's... That technology has actually allowed the robots to do the operations without the surgeon actually being involved now as well. But that's a little bit, I find that a bit freaky. It's like a surgery video game. Mm, Like operation, but... In real life. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Are real people. (laughs) Graham, are new types of jobs going to keep up with the loss of old ones, do you think? They appear to always do that, yeah. So if you look back over time, at the turn of the century, there were lots and lots of horses and carriage drivers and and stuff in all the cities and no cars. And then cars came along and everyone thought, what's going to happen to all the 
you know, the, the guys that drive the carriages or fix the shoes on the horses and people ended up having to learn how to change tires and, and build new things for cars and people have to, you know, move forward. And occasionally people get caught up in that and mm. find it hard to change, but most people, you know, excited to find something new to do. And what are you predicting or expecting to happen here with this huge uptake of AI, things like chat GPT? Yeah, I think there's going to be an enormous number of cool job titles. Cooler than robotic surgeon? Yeah, well, I can't even think of what they would be, but they're going to be cool. This um, generative AI wave that we're seeing is going to get harnessed by people and people are going to use it to augment their work. Mm. So whilst there's a bit of fear about, oh, suddenly you won't need a writer, the reality is that it's the same as the surgery, right? You'd still prefer to have the doctor running that robot than just full-on robot. Many years yet, we're still going to want people to pass their eye over the content coming out of these machines. Graham Muller, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Anytime. Hey, Chris. Yes. Do you want another very broad question? I've got a very broad question today. Go on, then. What do you know about sports? Up the wires, go the Black Caps, and don't forget Premier League football. Oh, you do love a bit of Premier League footage, do. don't you? What team is it that you support again? Oh, the current champions, Manchester City. I think they're pronounced Arsenal. It's pronounced Arsenal. Uh, but you know what's good about football? It what? They don't regulate soccer. Right? I'm sorry. There's a sport that regulates sock height? Indeed there is, and it's cycling. That's very strange. Why on earth do they regulate it? Well, I know, but if you want to find out, you'll have to listen to the Big Stuff Quiz, wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) Oh, that's a cliffhanger indeed. The Big Stuff Quiz is brought to you by Melbourne Every Bit Different. Well, it is a big week for economists this week because Thursday is... Budget day. It's also a big week for all the political journos. Who it's, it's like a Christmas that you love and hate all at the same time, I think, for the gallery. But the government will be setting out what money it's allocating and where. But what everyone wants to know is, will anything be announced that might improve the spiralling cost of living? Well, here's BNZ's chief economist, Mike Jones, who's here for the Pulse. Kia ora, Mike. Kia ora, guys. What's the chat about what the government might do regarding the cost of living? Yeah, well, I guess we're diving kind of straight into the number one tension for this budget, which is the need for some cost of living support and assistance Mm -hmm. is obviously really high, but... At an aggregate level, a bunch of extra spending and stimulus is not what the economy needs right now because it might hinder the Reserve Bank's job, which is to try and bring the cost of living and inflation back down again. And I mean, we actually have higher interest rates. So look, it's probably not going to be a, an election year lolly scramble. In fact, I think restraint is kind of an unexciting word as it is, is probably going to be one of the, the big themes of this budget. We might see a bit of extra assistance in some areas, but it'll be really, really targeted in, in, in approach. What options could there then be to get it right, I guess? Uh, I mean, based on what you've just said, the idea of those cost of living payments getting rolled out again doesn't sound like it could be a good thing. Yeah, I think that the big stuff will probably be parked and it'll be more about targeting the areas that at greatest need around the cost of living. The other thing, of course, is we've got the, the rebuild and recovery from the weather devastation. I think that's going to be you know, a real centre point of, of this budget around government plans, around uh, extra spending, amounts, timelines, process, uh, the extra infrastructure we need, all of that sort of stuff. If you had to pick an area where we might see a bit of a surprise, is there anything that comes to mind 
Well, but, you know, budgets these days are not as the you don't get the surprise effect as much. I think because the government tends to sort of breadcrumb out you know, some of the announcements before the day. You know, we've already had it signalled. This is the no frills budget. So to me, that's a that kind of tells you we need to know. It's we're getting the sort of low spec kind of budget option, which is potentially appropriate for for the sort of economic climate that that we're in. Any budget rituals that you do personally? Sausage rolls? Do you have a, a budget pair of socks or undies that you wear? Anything like that? I could start one. Um, <laughs> Please do. You know, if you've got any ideas, maybe a. Um, I mean, I'm sure it calls for a, a you know post budget bevy. Post budget bevy, yeah. Post budget bevy, yeah. yeah. Mike Jones, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, guys. We promised you at the very start of the show that we'd be talking about some very. Very, very bad email stuff-ups. And who do we turn to in such situations? The one, the only, fan favourite, some would say, producer Jono. Welcome. I mean, you did refer to me as your queen last time I came on, so I feel like we could bring that title back rather than the man we talk to about (laughs) stuff-ups. But anyway, this was blowing up in the group chat over the weekend, and this is why I wanted to talk about it, is those moments people type things in an email that they didn't mean to. Those innocent little typos that all of a sudden mean something else. And I have permission from my friends to share these gems with you. Go on. What do we got? My friend Leon was sending an email to a client and he wanted to use the phrase, getting his ducks in a row. (sighs) I'm anxious. Narrator voice. He had not written ducks. (laughs) He'd written that he was getting his dicks in a row. <laughs> oh, that could have gone one of two ways. I know. I thought it was Yeah. I would have had very little sympathy for him if he had said the because the F key has the little bump on it mm. on a computer. So Another another message, uh, someone who wanted to sign off an email with kind regards. Oh, you've told me about this one before. It's bad. But then accidentally hit the T key instead of the G key. I think we just don't say any more about it. No, that, I think we just let that hang in the air. And oh, that's, um, you all can look at a keyboard right now and go, oh, mm. oh that's not ending well for anyone. Mm. Um, and then there was a hilarious one, which actually came from my husband, David, who said <laughs> he once finished a voicemail message to an insurance broker. He works in insurance. And he ended the voicemail by saying, lots of love, David. <laughs> 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 Bye, I love you. <laughs> That's like calling your teacher mum or something, right? Oh. Isn't it? <laughs> uh, so we want to know what email stuff ups you guys have had. Uh, lovely newsable listeners, email us at stuff.co.nz or get in touch on the old Instagram as well, at newsable.nz. I've said newsable so many times uh, just now, but I'm going to say it again. That's Newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. And I'm Emil Donovan. Remember, you can follow us wherever you get your podcasts and across all your social channels as well. It's at Newsable NZ. And in case I didn't make myself clear before, you can also email us, newsable at stuff.co.nz. Have a great day. Lots of love. If you liked listening to this pod, help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz slash support. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. 
Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You'll also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.